Pursue Inclusion UWA Inclusion Initiative. And today on the show, I have the pleasure to speak to the Gill president, Nevin, and I'm going to bastardize his name, Jawadner. Jawadner, but close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, as soon as you get past like six letters for me, phonetically, I'm challenged straight away. And then add culturally different sounds, forget about it. I'm done. So thank you. Thank you for coming on this fun little initiative. It is fantastic. That's right. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, Nevin, I guess, you know, for me, this podcast kind of serves two particular purposes, and and you are, I guess, considered a special guest on this podcast. Um, That's very nice. You're very welcome. Um, (laughs) And and, and so the the first thing is really, how did Nevin get this drive and desire to be an overachiever, if you will. So, you know, talk to me about growing up. Did you grow up in Sri Lanka and move to Australia? Were you born in Australia? Uh, yeah, so I was actually uh, born in Australia. My parents came to Australia, I think about 26, 27 yeah. years ago. And yeah, born and raised in Australia. Uh, went to high school here. Yeah, pretty much the whole the whole jazz. <laughs> so, so what was it like having these, these Sri Lankan parents in an Australian culture? Like, how have we able to notice the similarities and differences? Uh, yes, one hundred percent. So I went to a, a public primary school and then private high school, and I'm at university. And I think those differences became, funnily enough, more apparent probably within high school, but more so within university. And I think, particularly around university, I I met more people uh, from a culturally similar background, um, and I quickly noticed the the stark differences in how I've been raised, what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate. So give me some examples. Like, our culture. So give me some examples of like what, what, like something that just really stood out to you that was like, wow. Well, for one, um, I think parents from a Sri Lankan background are, are a little bit more stricter than what I found with um, some of my other friends. Um, I would have curfews. There, there'll be different, uh, more stringent expectations around uh, how, how I perform in high school and things like that. But my parents... Uh, quickly became more lenient and a lot more supportive of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And they quickly trusted me in that I was doing what I believe was right. And so, well, what does that mean? Like, so, you know, do you, are you the youngest, oldest, middle? Uh, oldest. So oldest. I've got a youngest and that's it. So, so you're naturally, you know, you get the brunt of all your parents, you know, experiments, um, as yep. raising kids, <laughs> um, as a, as a dad of four, the oldest in some ways gets the best and the worst at the same time. Um, yeah. And so what do you mean by the expectations? Like were your parents high achievers or is it one of these things where you hear the stories of families migrate to a new country and they put a lot of expectations on their kids to out exceed their their parents where they ended up, if that makes sense? So my parents uh, worked especially hard to get to where we are today. They, were, they mainly moved to Australia to uh, get away from a lot of the conflict around the time and they pretty much had to start from scratch uh, and so partly it, it's not really their expectations on me it's a mixture of the expectations as well as doing them proud because they have had to work really hard to provide me with the opportunities that I have and I mean we go back to Sri Lanka every year um, and to see the quality of life there in comparison to Australia I feel very privileged to be um, living in a country like this and I think because of their upbringing because of the reason they're moving to Australia and uh, all the the hurdles that they've had to jump to get to where we are, I I almost were obligated um, to do the best I can with the opportunities that I have. 
And so I think that's really interesting. So was, was that obligation based on your observation or based on the words? Like, you know, I always hear, these, <laughs> I always hear stories of these, like, you know, immigrant parents who are saying, I did this and that to get you here. And then the, the, <laughs> you know, the child is like, well, shit, I better, I better, like, step up, you know, not to let them down. Or was it one of these things where you just noticed their actions and you, and you took hold of that? Uh, yeah, I'll say it's more of the, more of the latter um, in that my parents definitely told me what it was like living in Sri Lanka, why they moved here, <laughs> they uh, what guilt. it was like within Australia. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah. they, they, they generally told me the story just because they wanted to tell me and they didn't use it in a way to motivate me. It was more so when I talked about my achievements in high school, even within university, I could see that they were, of course, proud. Um, and that is that, I think, has been very motivating for me. And is, is, your, is your younger sibling sister or brother? Uh, sister. Sister. So is she as academically in- inclined as you? Uh, oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, tightrope. Tightrope. Sh- tightrope. She doesn't, she, she doesn't say she is. Uh, she likes to think, think she's uh, more of the creative one. Yeah. Um, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, she goes to Curtin and is doing yeah. business law and marketing and is looking to run a business yeah. sometime in the near future. What, what are you studying at UWA? Mechanical engineering. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So you are underachieving. You better. You better. <laughs> I don't know why you're not doing nuclear. I feel like you you could do do better. Um, so uh, uh, this, this is coming from a guy who barely got through college. So like anyone who is like achieving medicine or some sort of high end, you know, or any engineering for that matter, you know, for me is like, man, they are super smart people. Um, <laughs> so, well, so some of the, the greatest inventors in the world were dropped out of um, uni, right? I, I didn't. Well, true. Yes. But that's because they invented something while they were at like a Harvard or Stanford. So, so yeah, 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 that's probably true. <laughs> so, so they were already overachievers. I mean, they just decided <laughs> to take a different path. So now, you know, you've, you're in your third year at UWA or fourth year? Uh, actually, sixth year. Six year. Oh, is this a yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna take back, I'm gonna take back that overachiever comment then and uh, <laughs> throw it on the side. So, so is this because this is a professional degree, or you changed majors halfway through? No, I've I've been doing the the same degree since my first year. Um, I, it's mainly because from third year I started to do part time study. Uh, to make up for all the extracurricular activities I'm a part of. All right, so wait, can you can you unpack that? So either you're trying to prolong your college career or you're overcommitted. Uh, in third year, I was definitely overcommitted. Um, I wasn't able to handle full-time study, uh, work, um, and all the different clubs I was part of. And so I decided to – I didn't want to really give up any of it. Um, and I thought, <laughs> given that the engineering market was – and probably is not in a good state at the moment. I didn't really mind extending my degree. So hopefully by the time I do graduate, things pick up a little bit and it's a little bit easier to get a job. But I've been able to see the value that universities, uh, that the university has provided towards my personal and school development. And I thought it would be really handy to get more involved and to really take advantage of that. Um, whilst at the same time, giving back to the UWA community. So what are you hoping to get out of being a part of all these different clubs, right? So I don't know. How many, how many clubs are you a part of? Uh, well, right now, I'm not allowed to be a part of any clubs. Oh, because you're running, um, the whole, you're run, you're running all the clubs this way. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but in third year, I think I was a part of three, and I was president of one. And so, and then you also worked part-time on the outside? Yeah. Okay. Two jobs, I think. So, um, is, and so, 
I'm really curious about this deciding to go part time because you know I always find you know I'm, a, I'm an actual professor, so yeah. I, I teach at a university, and I always find that there's a point with every student where they're like, I just need to get out. Like I'm over it. Yeah. I'm done. And as you've matriculated through, you've also then become the youngest to the oldest on campus, so to speak. <laughs> and so, like, how how has that impacted your your desire to stay versus your relationships with various student entities? Does that make sense? Because like, I just think to myself, right now you're probably 23, 22, 23. 23. 23. And so like at 23, you're trying to deal with 18 year olds and now you, they come in and they start giving you a perspective that you probably once had and you're like, oh, shut up. Like, really? And obviously you're, you're a kind soul, so you would never say that and don't get me wrong. Um, but like my idea is that, you know, you've, you've, you've transformed yourself into a different person. So here's my overall question in this long ramble. Do, do you see yourself now ready to move on just through the process of being at a university for so long? Um, yes, uh, I think this experience, uh, being guild president especially, has uh, made me more capable to handle uh, what may come after. I, I still have another two years left of my mechanical engineering degree, so I have to stick around anyways if I want to be an accredited mechanical engineer. But I think beforehand, if, if I were to just do my uh, Bachelor of Science and to graduate without really getting involved in anything else, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't have, I first wouldn't have as many doors open um, to me and I don't think I'll be as ready to handle uh, a diversity of jobs that most people really go through. So do you, so this is interesting to me. So you're deciding to stay another two years because you have to and you got to graduate and finish. Do you yeah. get pressure from your parents to hurry <laughs> up? Uh, yeah, so before I was actually <laughs> considering running for guild president, I told them that I'd have to take the year off study to do the job. And my dad was understanding. He trusted whatever decision uh, I was going to go with. Uh, whereas my mom was like, you've been at uni for, six, for five years now. <laughs> uh, you probably got to graduate soon and get a job. And was originally uh, not entirely supportive, but quickly came around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. Like now, if you're done with this at the end of the school year, which is coming up, right? So yeah, you know, why not just go full time and get it done with next year if it's possible, or is it just not yeah, possible? Yeah. Uh, so I will be going. I did two of my master's units last year, so I'll, I've got six units left technically of my first year. So of you're masters. getting your masters, okay? So you've yeah, you yeah. finished your undergrad. You just kind of matriculated right into the master's program. Yeah, so with UWA to be an accredited ah, engineer, okay. you have to do the undergraduate and postgraduate. Okay, well, that makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. I'm thinking, man, you're really slow playing this undergraduate card. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I've, like, got, I've got that degree. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're milking that for all it's worth. Um, <laughs> so, all right, well, that makes a lot more sense to me. That was probably a piece of that puzzle I didn't fully understand is, is that. So, you know, talk to me about why engineering versus medicine or law so i think in year 12 i was still deciding what i wanted to do um i was considering the the tech the, the the typical sri lankan jobs are like either being a doctor lawyer engineer um as well as things outside of that like industrial design architecture and i looked at what i was interested in what i was motivated to do um and at the end of the day uh my what i came to my mind was um, my ultimate goal in life is to enrich the lives of other people and i think um, engineering would put me in the best place to do that. Uh, but even after an experience like this year, I can see myself probably stepping outside of engineering and doing something entirely different. Not sure what yet, uh, but just going to keep my, my options open. So 
so I think this is again. I think I think the whole psyche of an individual, how they transfer, transform, and change over time, is a really is a really fascinating thing because here's someone who went in kind of doing what society, societal pressure kind of said, hey, be an engineer, be a doctor. And if you're trying to change society, my thought is, well, why not be a doctor? In your mm-hmm. mind, you rationalize, you know, uh, engineering, which is great, which is fine. Um, the world needs more engineers, I think. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but at the end of this, now you've been giving back pretty consistently over the last four or five years, right? Through different clubs and presidents and now the guild president. And we'll talk about being guild president in a little bit. But now you see that you want a job where you're giving back. So, so what does that look like to you? If you were to paint your, your ideal scenario of a job that you're able to, to, to do the things that make you happiest, what does that ideally look like for you? Uh, well, the, the funny thing is I'm, I actually try to steer away from painting that picture, um, mainly because when I came into university, I had this mindset of, uh, that I need to do my degree in five years, so like the three years undergraduate, two years postgraduate, as quick as possible. I spent six years in high school already. Um, I wasn't really keen on studying for another five years, but I thought let's do it as soon as possible, get a job, um, and that job will allow me to actually do some good things for other people. And I quickly found that if I were to stick with that mindset and to be so stubborn, I wouldn't uh, be where I am today. I wouldn't have gone involved in all the clubs and become guild president. So what I've learned is that Sometimes opportunities pop out from the side and it's important to have an open mind um, and to not really fix yourself to a particular path and uh, make sure, and I just make sure that whatever opportunity I do take, it is in line with that that end goal. And the end goal is just being open to opportunity? The end goal is to help others. I I know it sounds corny, but uh, that, that is the end goal. And whether that be through engineering or consulting or whatever, um, as long as it does that, then I'm happy. So, so let me say that you know, over the last three years, I've interviewed 150 CEOs, executive leaders around the world, right, for my podcast, mm-hmm. and I can yeah. tell you that so many of them end up where you're starting at um, yeah. uh, internally as human beings. For a majority of us who aren't completely selfish and self-centered, helping others actually gives us fuel for ourselves, and if you've already arrived at that starting point, there's only good things that happen after that. The thing that I, I think was kind of interesting is you also don't want to pigeonhole yourself. <laughs> so like, so you have a very baseline expectation of just helping others. Where that manifests itself could be totally up in the air. So mm-hmm. do, do you are you thinking about you know after you finish because you got to finish what you started. I think that's fair, and I think that yeah. you know getting a degree in engineering and a master's actually has a ton of applicable uses mm. outside of engineering, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Just critical thinking, uh, just problem processes, solving. problem solving, all those things, right? And, and you're experiencing that as you go now, just with what you're doing at the Guild. So have yeah. you have you started thinking about reaching out to the different alumni who are in spaces that you're fairly interested in and maybe talk about doing internships next year or something different like that to kind of transition in that space while you finish? Uh, I've been meaning to. Uh, I've really, I haven't really had the opportunity, but sure. I do definitely need to get onto it. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a pressure on my side then. So um, yeah. <laughs> there's a to-do task. But, you know, you're wrapping up. You're wrapping up your year. Yeah. As a guild president is a year-long endeavor. So yeah. semester ends what? In like three weeks? Uh, the teaching semester has finished. So right now I'm in study break and then the next two weeks are exams. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're essentially – like, do you, are you just done at the end of exams? Like – 
That's it? Uh, my term finishes on the 30th of November. Oh my gosh. So you're like two weeks away. Um, yeah. So, so let's, let's, let me talk to you about this idea of being guild president, right? So for some of the audience, and, and most of this is obviously going to be UWA audience, they may not even know what that actually entails. So describe to me the job of being guild president. The job? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like just the job of it. So the job oh. and the job and why you just let's start with why you decided to run for it. Let's start with that. Uh, why I decided to run. Um, so I, I think again, from third year, um, during uh, back then I was uh, Desi president. So that's a club that uh, looks after um, students from the subcontinent. So that includes India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Bangladesh, and all of that. Um, and in that year, uh, I saw the the value that it provided back to other people through an event that we ran, um, and uh, and then thinking about my university experience more broadly, I thought uh, that the things I'm going to remember in 20, 30 years times are is not a decision where I made to spend another year studying trying to get my degree as soon as possible. So it's going to be experiences like this, um, and I of course, saw the value in what the Guild was providing to the 25,000 students here. Uh, and I ran uh, because I wanted, uh, again, be a part of that to affect change on a, a broader level. Um, and it looks as though the, the students thought I'd do a good job. So here I am. Yeah. So what was what was some of the biggest challenges you faced over the last year? Um, oh, it's almost like challenges every single day. You're dealing with so many different issues, um, with yeah, more individual cases with, with students, and uh, then navigating the the different structures within the university, trying to change policies here and there, um, introduce new systems, new initiatives, bigger events, smaller events, more tailored events. Uh, but I think the main challenge um, is, uh, and the main challenge, and the main reason I also wanted to come into the role was to engage. Um, each and every single student at UWA because uh, two years prior to that I was a society's council president and in that year um, it it became someone told me that uh, we have students that are in their third or fourth year of study that hasn't made any friends um, and they will come to the guild looking for opportunities to develop their, their support networks um, and so I think that at the end of the day, that's the, the main reason why I got involved, so that I can do what I can to help students that are in that position, um, and to ensure that the guild is reaching far and wide. And, and so I, I was actually my, my next question is that you know you you mentioned the student body is twenty five thousand, but of that twenty five thousand, I don't know how many thousand actually just live at home and commute in and out, um, mm. but it's a lot. And so is it difficult to get that connection to the campus with all those people who don't actually live on campus? Um, it is. I, I, it's not just those kind of students. There, there are different um, groups here and there that are extremely difficult to engage. Um, I think now that uh, the university and I think just society in general is becoming a lot more digital and there's less of a need to come onto campus, it becomes hard to engage with those students. Uh, but we are trying to be innovative in the way that we do engage and the, the kind of services that we do run. Um, and so a lot of uh, services that usually were uh, in person, we've been trying to migrate onto the website and onto other online systems to make it easier for students to still be a part of the UWA community. So what's the mission of the Guild? 
out of curiosity? Like, what is the overall mission that you're trying to accomplish? Oh, uh, there's got to be a mission statement somewhere. Yes, um, <laughs> actually had it up. So I can actually read it out if you want. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to know what exactly so, what it is. Our mission, um, as in Statute 20 of the UWA regulations, <laughs> is to... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm going to get to that statute after this call. I will get to it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so it's to foster all that tends to the advancement of learning and the ennoblement of life, uh, provide means of social interaction between students at the university, provide, conduct, facilitate, or manage educational, cultural, sporting, welfare, recreational, or commercial facilities or activities, for the direct or indirect benefit of students of the university. You probably have to fix that one, that's too long. Um, and the last one is to further, in general, the common interests of students at the university. Wow, that was way too long. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, for me, it feels like, I always thought the guild's goal was, and correct me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, was to basically find ways to connect students to the university through activities and in collaboration with faculty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not just connecting students to the university. It's um, also about connecting students with each other. Um, but, I mean, if sure. I had to Through sum the it university. up in a sentence, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I had to sum it up in a sentence, just making sure that the that students um, enrolled at UWA have the best possible student experience. So it's not just looking at academic. It's about looking at the whole picture. The social. So do you think that, um, I'm just curious about this, do you think that because the alumni office now is really making a push to really connect with alumni out after they graduate, that there needs to be a, a closer relationship between the guild and the alumni office in terms of creating events that go back and forth, or are they already moving in that direction? Because I don't, I don't actually know the answer to this or, or any of that. Uh, sorry, could you repeat that again? Yeah, sorry. I tend to be long-winded with my questions, so I apologize. They're, they're usually multi-part. Um, so, you know, the alumni office is really trying to to create better relationships with their alumni, get them more engaged after they graduate. So my question is, do you, I guess, does the alumni office and the guild work closely together to facilitate a connection before the students leave, or is this something they should start working on? Uh, I think, I, I can't really speak for previous years because I haven't been as involved um, from a guild perspective with alumni, but certainly this year I've noticed that the, that the alumni office has uh, involved the guild in the, the various different events uh, to uh, to provide sort of a current student perspective of what's happening on campus. And even say with convocation, we've been um, working quite strong in partnership um, to run events here and there and to get more to get more students engaged after they've graduated from university. Uh, but I still definitely think there's a lot of room for improvement um, and a lot of space to do new things. And so how do you think they, that you could improve that relationship? Uh, with the alumni office? Convocation sure. yeah, or... yeah, yeah. With the alumni office. Because I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle in terms of, you know, from the American system, right? Amer American students mm. have really strong connections to their university after they leave. You know, yeah. like, like I, I read articles about my university. I follow their basketball team online. I cheer online. If I can find it online to watch a game, I watch it. You know, if you go to a big school like Michigan or Harvard, like you're just like alumni are so connected to their university after they leave because th those are the, the formation years of U.S. students because we live on campus. We're away from our family. And so our experience is very unique as opposed to the, you know, Australian experience to university. Mm. 
But, you know, what's happening with the finances at the university level in Australia is that they're starting to reduce the, the government funds, which means you have to raise it through endowments at the university. Mm. Well, the only way you raise money through endowments is by having alumni donate money. So I'm kind of – follow me here. So to do that, you then have to start <laughs> engaging alumni or engaging students at a much earlier age at the university to get them excited about their experience at the university. So. Yeah. So here's my thing is, is it the guild's responsibility to create memorable experiences for all students so that when they leave, they're more eager and excited to give back to the university on on the back end? Uh, I, I don't think it's solely our responsibility. I think it's definitely a shared responsibility with um, both the guild and the various different departments of the university. Um, I think we play an important role in terms of the, the extracurricular aspect of it, but what I've found is uh, those coming through UWA, the ones that uh, typically are still engaged in what's happening um, after they've graduated and the ones that uh, pay any attention are uh, those that have been engaged with like the club societies, for example, with the guild um, that have been actively involved in uh, student life, um, as opposed to the ones that have just gone to their classes, for example, and gone home. And like, as you said, um, I think the reason why in the U.S. Student, uh, graduates sorry, are uh, so engaged is because they've literally had to live on campus and to be a part of it for their whole degree. Whereas here, um, you can maybe attend uni about two or three hours a week um, to just go to your tutes, watch your lectures at home, and you don't really develop that sense of community, um, which is unfortunate, but we... But what I've been trying to push this year is for more students to become engaged in club societies because not only do you get like the benefits of um, meeting other people, developing networks, um, skill development and all of that nice stuff, but uh, you definitely do start to feel more a part of the UWA community and, and still continue to be engaged after you graduate. I mean, that's got to be hard as a professor there, right? When you go into a classroom and 70%, you know, are just going to watch this lecture later at home. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of feel like... I think that would take the winds out of my sail because part, <laughs> part, part of the fun is the interaction with the students in the moment, not just talking, you yeah. know? And a lot of times when I'm teaching, I just, I'm, I improv, you know, which for, yeah. for the good or the bad of that, by the way, but I improv and then I try to get students engaged in that moment. So if most of the students aren't even there, I feel like that would be really tough to give a unique experience. Do you think that the university is starting to lose starting to lose the the point of an education do you know what i mean like are they substituting technology as a means to get money versus requiring people to be in the classroom to have i know tutorials are there but those are always taught by your graduate students yeah so that's a totally different experience i taught toots when i was in uh uwa as well so i mean i totally remember Mm being in the classroom, having that fun engagement with the students. But that's different than mm. being the faculty member who has the PhD in front of a class. Um, mm. So I don't know if you know, my question really is like, do you think the university is kind of in a, in a mission to earn more money and, and accept more students into the student body is missing the under undercurrent of why they are there? Um, I think uh, even from um, the Guild, we've always been pushing for uh, learn to become more accessible uh, because nowadays uh, students are faced with more pressures. Um, the, the job market, for one, is 
uh, a lot tougher. And so there is almost a need to become engaged in extracurricular activities to have that, have those skills on your CV so that when you apply for a job, um, employers don't just see that you've got a degree, you've also been involved in this and that, and you've learned skills like around conflict management, teamwork, presentation, things of that sort. You've got to manage part-time or casual work. Um, there's family and social commitments. And then on top of that, you've got uni. And so uh, we've noticed definitely this year that there's an increase um, in uh, or issues around student wellbeing. And it's really important that the university is considerate of these issues that students are facing, that uh, lectures, for example, are all online um, so that uh, information that is just taught from, say, a PowerPoint with the person speaking over the top of it, you don't need to be in class for that. You can uh, watch it at home in your own time. And even when it comes to around exams, it's really good to be able to go over that content again and um, to replay it. So I really like how lectures have uh, moved online. And I think um, as uh, as the years go by, learning will become online with the introduction of like VR and AI and all those different R's. Um, <laughs> and like we, we might even be a point, I know it sounds crazy, but like you're at home, you put a headset on and you're you're watching your tutor in your very own room, um, which sounds creepy, but you, you get what I mean. Yeah, um, but, but isn't the downside of that is the human connection gets lost? Like yeah, is, is uh, it, that's the biggest thing, right? Yeah, and I think that that's, that's, that's a challenge now because even for the Guild, um, we depend on students coming onto campus, engaging in all the different clubs, and there is an extreme. I think what what uh, universities as a whole don't really capitalize on is um, the whole student experience, because what we always promote is if you come to this and that university, you get this and that degree, and this and that degree will get you. Uh, we'll open these doors for you, but there is a whole other side to universities that other institutions don't really offer, and that is um, that side of face-to-face uh, -face interaction with your tutors. Uh, working in groups um, and all those soft skills that aren't necessarily recognized on your academic transcript that really do go a long way, not just getting you a, a nice job, but also just handling life altogether. Um, and so like a marketing campaign that the Guild has been running this year is uh, get more than a degree, uh, because that is what you get at UWA. Um, and I think I'm probably being biased here, but we probably do it better than <laughs> most other universities. Um, in terms of all the activities no and opportunities bias whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think uh, graduates that, I'm sorry, current students that do get involved in all of these activities um, get a lot out of universities, but unfortunately that's not formally recognized. And so I think uh, it's a lot harder to promote that. So what do you, what, I mean, just hypothetically, let's say, because what percent of students live on campus? Oh, uh, I mean, it's only a couple thousand, right? Like two, three thousand. Yeah, I think it would just be over ten percent, ten, fifteen, maybe. Okay. So maybe five thousand people. Let's say five I think so. in the dorms. Yeah. So I would imagine. I don't know if I'm sure you've done some, have either read or done some sort of questionnaires, but I would imagine those students' experiences are drastically different than everyone else's, and that those students are probably way more connected to the university than than the commuters. Would that be fair? Uh, I, th I think they're definitely connected within their own colleges. I mean, I'm not uh, a residential student myself, so I can't, um, uh, I, I wouldn't have the best idea of what they're connected to. But um, I mean, they do live right next to campus. So I think in comparison to your student that, that in comparison to the students that do commit to university, they would. So I, I, yeah, I would argue they're more connected. So that leads me to my next question. What would you say if the university said, hey, listen, we are going to build 
dorms and housing that, that houses 15,000 students because we think this is the best model because it increases in student engagement, attendance in classes, um, activities, you know, for extracurricular activities, sports, all that stuff. You know, it, it's, it, it, would you be for that or do you, do you think as someone who commutes that it would be too distracting for you and that, you know, you enjoy living at home? Let's take cost out of it. Obviously cost would be a factor, don't get me wrong, but let's take cost out of it. Um, would you be for something like that where it brings more students onto campus on a more regular basis? Uh, for, for me personally, I live 40 minutes away, so if cost wasn't involved, I would definitely do it. Um, I imagine there are a lot of other students that would definitely be uh, keen to move right next to campus and to be more involved, to be around your friends, and it will be a cool experience to be sort of taken out of your comfort zone and to um, live outside of home for a few years, and it, it's definitely more convenient, but yeah, <laughs> it all comes back to cost and sure. whether students can afford it. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting question because there's really no models in Australia that are similar to the U.S. when it comes to housing, and the culture the culture is so commuter based. Which in the states, you know, the colleges that are commuter based have almost no campus life whatsoever, and so it's such a different philosophy in my head. I remember being on campus there, walking through campus, thinking, "Man, this place is dead." Right. Like like there's no one here. And it's, it's you know, in my mind, I kept thinking, this is a big campus. It's beautiful. Why aren't there more people hanging out and so forth? So I had, I had such a different perspective coming from the U.S. So. All right. Um, what I want to do is kind of pivot a little bit here and, and talk about talk about really the initiative that we are that we are supporting. I'm supporting you're supporting about inclusion, because as guild president, this is one of your jobs. Right. And so. You know, how do you at 23, how, how do you see individuals? You know, we, we live in this society where if you read the news at all, it's for and against. I hate you. I love you. It's, you know, um, you know, life is coming to an end in one website and life is beginning. Like it's this constant discord of, of opposites, if you will. So I often find myself wondering, do individuals really want inclusion? So do you think that individuals really want inclusion in their life? Um, I, I, well, I, I like to think people do. Um, I've surrounded myself with people that, that uh, would like inclusion. Uh, but I think uh, like when it comes to the media, it's, of course, the, the, the stories that are not so great where inclusion isn't celebrated that unfortunately get more attention just because maybe it's different to the norm. Uh, I mean, I'm not really sure what it is. I think it would probably be a multitude of reasons, but I think in general, uh, people, well, maybe not. I, I don't it, know. I think it's an interesting, because you're the first person that's kind of said, maybe they don't want, because almost everyone else has said like, yes, of course they want, but I think to myself often too, like, but do they? Because their attitudes, think, and, their attitudes and behaviors don't match that. Yeah, I think everyone likes to think that they want inclusion, but everyone has a different definition of mm. inclusion, which don't match up with everyone else's. And so, although we all think we want inclusion, according to other people, it's not the inclusion, it's not yeah. the type of inclusion that we're looking for. You probably want it until it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry? Like, you probably want it until it is uncomfortable. And then yeah, like, I mean, eh. like, it, it's not, like, for me, inclusion would be opening our borders and, and letting people that are seeking refuge into the country. Uh, whereas other people, they don't want that because they want to protect um, this and that. So, uh, I mean, I can respect that opinion, but to me, that's not inclusion. 
So, so I think, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yes, I think people of uh, people do have, of course, different political beliefs, um, and I think it's important that we respect those beliefs. But I think everyone just has a different definition of inclusion, and I think in that aspect, uh, uh, I think the my my end answer is everyone does want inclusion. Everyone just has different. Everyone wants a different kind of inclusion. I, I think that's right. I, I think to your point, everyone defines it differently. So I'd be hard pressed to think that a majority of people, and there are people who are fairly racist and segregist in their thoughts, but a majority of people would say, yeah, I want inclusion. How they define that is always the gray area. So so I guess for you, you, know, you just kind of brought up a really interesting point. Why is inclusion important for you? Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I'm obviously um, a person of Sri Lankan heritage. Um, my, I, I think back to my story of how my parents got here, um, the the struggles that we've had to go through. Being brown, um, yeah, racism is something that we experience firsthand. Um, and uh, my travels uh, back to Sri Lanka, again witnessing the the different kinds of lifestyles uh, makes me extremely, it, I feel extremely privileged to be living in this country. And so when I see other people uh, that unfortunately don't, do not have the same opportunities, um, I think from, from that background, I feel uh, motivated to um, be a part of uh, developing inclusion at UWA. Um, and also uh, I, something that I mentioned in one of my, in the, the leader, profile on the website is that I am the first colour president um, of the UWA Student Guild and we've been around since the 1913, since 1913. Um, and so uh, I think we are coming into an age where this is starting to become a little bit more normal, but we still have a bit of way to go and I want to do what I can to make sure we get there. That's awesome. So, all right. So tell me then in, in terms of what you do at the Guild as the president, can you give me an example of a way that you try to foster inclusion, whether it's yeah, just give me an example of how you how you try to foster inclusion. Uh, so, the, the guild we've got different representative departments like um, international postgraduate uh, access for students with mental and physical disabilities, uh, the pride department uh, that represents students uh, from the LGBTIQA plus community, um, uh, ethnocultural and things of that sort. So all of those all of those different departments run their own different events, initiatives, campaigns. Um, and we are essentially the hub of inclusion when it comes to students at EWA. My job is, of course, helping those different departments. I probably don't uh, have an active hand in it. I do what I can to help those those departments and to ensure that they have uh, the ability to do what they need to do. Okay. So I, I guess this kind of leads me to my final question. And thanks for your time, Nevin. I know we had to reschedule a couple times due to my scheduling conflict. Um, so, you know, you, you're part of a diverse community, right? You have Sri Lankan heritage. Um, you often were probably the other in the room, you know, quite often. Uh, and I don't mean that from a disrespectful standpoint whatsoever. It's just a factual standpoint. And so you've seen diversity all over the place, right? Like, like you are the diverse. Like, you know, I had a friend of mine I used to work with, and she was African-American, but she was the only African-American in the business school. 
And so she was, what she, she say this herself, she's like, I'm the token. So she gets taken to every photo, every shot, everything like that, because she was the other non-white person and that made us look like we were a diverse society, right, in the school. So, um, you know, as being someone who's of an other, right, who's brown, as you said, um, you're familiar with diversity. But the question I always have is, how do we start fostering conversations around inclusion? Fostering conversations. Yeah. How do we start a conversation, right? So diversity is one thing. We all recognize diversity is important. But the next step of that is actually having the conversation of inclusion. Like, what is inclusion? How is it important? You know, how do you begin that conversation with other people who think they know what inclusion is, but in reality, they're just talking about diversity? Oh, oh. <laughs> Did you just give birth? What just happened right there? <laughs> It's a very complicated question. It, it is. Uh, a, yeah. Blame Josh uh, for that, by the way. <laughs> I think inclusion to me is more about um, action rather than conversation. Um, I think we can all talk about we have our efforts to include people and how we want to do, how we want to be more inclusive um, within, within our own communities. Um, but uh, I think it's important to be aware of tokenizing. I'm not sure if, if that's even the word. Um, I like it though. <laughs> uh, yeah, to making approaching the issue in a tokenistic way. Um, and for me, what I personally would like to see um, is uh, more efforts made by people to provide equitable access for um, those that are typically disadvantaged to um, have the same opportunities. Um, and I think that follows through more in action rather than, than conversation. I think when it comes to conversation, it's more about the other side being open-minded because if they're not open-minded to a different definition of inclusion, then it's really hard to have those conversations with people. I really like that because you know what you have said has not been articulated that way in the 10 or 15 of these I've done. And that is that, no, no, and that's a really, it's, I, I mean that from a very much a, a positive perspective is that words actually don't mean anything. So, you know, it's, words are nice, they're fluffy, they're a Hallmark card, you know, um, agree, but, but it's what you do with them is what matters most. Uh, in, in this, in the sense of inclusion, so I think that's a really great way to actually end this initiative on stop saying it, start doing it. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Summed up very well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, listen, Nevin, and uh, you're gonna have to fill in the blank for your last name. J Thank you very much uh, for joining me. I can never get it right. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me on this Pursue Inclusion UWA initiative. I appreciate your time, energy, and willingness to sit down with me. Oh, that's all right. Thank you for having me and for asking all the questions. It was actually an opening experience for myself as well. Uh, fantastic. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion episode. Make the commitment to leave no one behind by taking part in our movement towards an inclusive society. Stand up for inclusion on November 4th. Details on the website pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au.